Hello and welcome to another episode of the Electrical Apparatus Show. I'm your host, David Miller. Usually I'm joined by our managing editor, Selena Cody, but today I'm going to be flying solo, though I do want to note that we are going to be joined later in the show by our special guest, Gene Vogel. Uh, Gene is ESA's pump and vibration specialist, and he has a wealth of experience in those fields, uh, some of which he'll be sharing with us today. So um, I think with that and several other things we have to talk about, we have a good show in store for all of our listeners today. So um, Gene is going to be talking about courses he teaches at ESA, uh, one on pump reliability and the other on pump fundamentals. Um, The difference being that the former is, of course, more oriented toward pumps and systems, and the latter uh, mostly pertains to the machinery in and of itself. So maybe we can see these as two sides of the same coin. And I think um, Gene elucidates quite well the importance of um, understanding the application uh, which a pump is employed in in diagnosing problems the pump has and servicing it effectively. So he also talks about uh, the value of ESA shops extending into pump services, particularly at a time when smaller motors... um, are being serviced less as replace, trends over repair, and so maybe some old revenue streams are drying up. He talks about how by moving into the pump space you can, you know, reseize some of that lost revenue. Um, we discuss markets where pumps are plentiful um, and where pump opportunities are plentiful. Um, and we, we kind of cap off the discussion by um, looking at some of the unique considerations that should be made in regard to pumps, not only for uh, technicians themselves, but then for businesses. Uh, that is for shop managers, uh, shop owners who are hoping to move in this direction. So um, all of this is, of course, for our water issue, our August issue, which maybe um, many of you have already read, uh, which is themed in accordance with water. Um, I think what that really means, what might be more useful to say is, that we do a lot of pump coverage in it. You know, we're talking about machinery that moves fluids. I think putting it that way maybe makes it more clear to our core listeners and readers um, how it is water relates to them, although I'm sure they already know. Um, So we do look at pumps a great deal. We have a cover story on um, the use of sanitary pumps in pharmaceutical manufacturing. Um, But we also look uh, at hydropower, too, and that's in keeping with a, a growing emphasis on energy that we've had um, probably for the last few years, I think probably before I came on board even. Um, but as I, I think especially since I've come on board, we, we do a lot of energy. Um, and so we explore pump storage hydropower, run-of-the-river hydropower, um, and so on. So um, I'm going to go ahead and cut over to Gene in a moment so we can get that interview going. I hope that provides something of interest to our listeners. But before that, um, I do want to note um, that... Since we are going to be talking to Gene largely about how shops might expand their service portfolio to encompass uh, more pumps in order to bring in new revenue, um, that our upcoming cover story for uh, our September issue, that's our innovation issue, um, approaches a a similar kind of theme um, through the lens of robotics, um, which our listeners probably know make use of servo motors, which is another area uh, which shops might expand their offerings into to bring in new revenue. And so we look at um, the growth in robotics. Um, We kind of bookend from a story we did in January about automation more broadly um, and its connection to the the reshoring of U.S. manufacturing. Um, We look at potential opportunities in robotics and also 
you know, limitations to those opportunities because there are some cases in which even if pieces of equipment have motors in them, that doesn't necessarily translate into service opportunities. Although we do feel, um, and, and many of the sources we talk to for this up- upcoming story also feel, um, that while there might not be incredibly plentiful opportunities, um, there are substantial opportunities um, in servicing the servo motors in robotics applications. And so, um, you know, that story is very interesting because it also looks at um, the accelerating trend of automation uh, more broadly in more detail. Uh, You know, that is not only in light of a push to reshore, um, but in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, because of course, uh, weaknesses in global supply chains have been exposed by that in more detail. And many people are re-examining those and are even more interested in reshoring now than they already had been. And on top of that, of course, there is a great deal of interest right now in limiting human contact in plants, which robots allow for. Um, so all of that and, and more is coming up in our September innovation issue. Um, I think it relates to this upcoming discussion in that um, pumps are not the only area shops can expand into when looking to, to seize new service opportunities. Um, there are several. Uh, another one is servo motors, um, and, and like I said, we'll examine that in the light of robotics. So I think that's a good summary of what's on the horizon. Now, uh, you know, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring in Gene Vogel, who has a lot to say, which I think is probably going to be very interesting and useful to our readers. First and foremost, let's begin by discussing your pump fundamentals courses, which you teach in connection with ESA. Tell our listeners a little bit more about that. You know, in a nutshell, how long you've been teaching the course, what types of content the course entails, and, you know, what the initial impetus for the development of those courses was. Okay. Well, ESA has had a, uh, uh, a class for pumps for their members um, even before I came on the scene, so, so probably back uh, um, definitely you know, 15 years ago. Um, pumps have been a part of, uh, uh, of their business, so you know, they had the course to, to support that. Um, it was not taught by uh, ESA employees. It was uh, contracted out, and uh, it was one of the tasks I was uh, asked to take care of when uh, – uh, when I came on with ESA in 2009, um, was to put together a pump class that was an ESA pump class, you know, uh, completely, uh, which they owned and uh, had complete control over. So uh, uh, that was in 2009, and uh, prior to, to coming to work with uh, ESA, I had been teaching a pump and systems class for private contractors uh, as an independent contractor. So uh, uh, at one point, I had uh, revised that course for one of the independent, one of the independent uh, folks I was working with. Um, so I had that all fresh in my mind, and that was the first class that I produced for uh, for ESA in in two thousand and nine, and that was pump reliability. The uh, subsequent to that, uh, uh, that was a great course, and it was still available. We still teach it; it's two day course, um, two day seminar. Uh, they wanted something that focused more on how to repair pumps in the service center where the uh, uh, pump reliability really dealt with uh, pumps more in their operating environment and uh, what made a pump envi- you know, a, a pump uh, reliable uh, in, in its operating environment. They wanted a course that would teach folks, what do you, what, you know, there's this piece of machinery, what do I do with it? They say it's a pump. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, that was the second effort, and I believe I, I completed that in uh, 2011, or so, end of 2011. 
So those are the two major courses um, that I teach, the one pump reliability, which which is about pumps and systems and what are the ingredients that have to come together for a pump to operate reliably. And then the fundamentals of pump repair, which is a course for technicians who are working on the pumps and need to know what do I need to know to repair this piece of machinery, and, and those are those are, are, are you know obviously cover similar material in some in, in some portions, but uh, there's large segments of each course which is completely diverse. We have uh, technicians in a service center uh, repairing a piece of machinery who who may not uh, know what the operating conditions are, and yet they can do an excellent job of repairing that that piece of machinery. Uh, you might have service technicians working in the field for a service center and um, dealing with pump problems where, you know, in their operating environment, um, and they need to understand why that pump is, is, is experiencing problems. And they may not be particularly knowledgeable about how to take that machine apart and overhaul it, uh, but they understand its operational uh, requirements. So uh, those are the two primary courses that... Uh, uh, that I teach related to pumps, um, we, we segment out, uh, particularly we'll segment out the uh, uh, pump fundamentals of pump repair. Some people don't have two days to invest, so we, we'll take just one or two sections of that and, um, and provide it. They may only be interested, for instance, in submersible pumps. They get a lot of submersible pumps or have those opportunities, or maybe they're working with uh, um, uh, municipal water and they've got um, you know different types of pumps that, that other than submersibles. So we'll segment that course out and make it a one you know one day course if necessary. We'll work with our members um, to to meet their needs. I see. Now answer me this: Is it the case that many shops that previously um, did not service pumps or maybe didn't have a major emphasis on pumps are seeing them become a larger part of their service portfolio? Yeah, that's absolutely true, um, and it has been true uh, certainly with my tenure here with ESA. It was uh, true to some extent even before that. I, I, I would would guess that it's accelerated somewhat since we have better resources now to support them. Um, but that has definitely been a trend for uh, over a decade. I see, and and so. From your perspective, what do you think the um, primary drivers of that trend have been? Well, the, 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 the couple of obvious ones are, uh, uh, number one, it's, a, it's an opportunity, and ESA service centers are, are keen on keeping track of where the opportunities are. Uh, there are probably five or six other areas related to electric motor repair, you know, tangent to it, um, that ESA service centers continue to to uh, grow their business in those areas aside from pumps. So it's not just pumps. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, ESA service centers are very adept at finding the opportunities and um, adapting their resources to uh, increase their business. Um, and part of that, a big part of that is the support they get from ESA in terms of business planning and uh, uh, looking ahead at, uh, at, at you know what the horizon has. So, but but just putting that aside, just looking at the at the pump side of it, um, uh, obviously the you know the, the the pumps are out there. As long as people keep drinking and as long as people keep flushing, there's going to be pumps. <laughs> so yeah. They are there, um, and they require they require service. The service that they require for the particular types of pumps that we work on um, is not 
very much of a of a change from the types of machinery that they're used to working on related to electric motor repair, gearboxes, clutches, well, yeah, pumps too. Um, so it's, it's not a stretch for service centers to get into the pump uh, repair business. The opportunity is out there. Um, a service center that might have been focused primarily on rewinding uh, motors and repairing and overhauling electric motors um, has probably found that the feasibility of repairing smaller motors um, is, is you know evaporating as production costs go down mass production um, so it's it's much less expensive to you know replace a small electric motor than repair it so that business uh, oper- those business opportunities tend to shrink um, we have the capacity to do the service and we look for other places to apply it pumps are an obvious uh, opportunity so that it's a natural migration. Not that anyone's getting out of the motor winding business, but uh, when I first started uh, in the business back in 67, we were fixing Emerson fans. I had a couple people <laughs> repairing Emerson fans. We don't work on on, uh, on on desktop fans anymore. I see, I see. So as, as some of these more traditional revenue streams have, have dried up, pumps offers um, an easy transition that, that's kind of close to home to bring in um, new revenue streams. And I, I wonder if you could tell me um, if in addition to that, um, some of the markets where the pump work comes from, you know, things like process manufacturing, um, municipal water, as you said earlier, are those growing as well? Or is it mainly a move on the shops part alone, if that makes sense? Uh, it, it, it is in my in my estimation, it's, it's more a case of the service centers uh, moving into the existing market. Certainly, that the the, the, mar- the you know the, the the usage of pumps in industry, um, in commercial, in municipal environments uh, is expanding naturally as those uh, industries expand. Um, but the, uh, the repair of those pumps, aside from their increase in, in number. Uh, the natural growth of them, their increase in number. The repair of those pumps hasn't experienced any particular uh, uh, revolution. Um, they're about as re- you know reliable now. Well, they're probably a little bit more reliable now than they were you know 20 years ago, but marginally so. So the the, the proportion of pumps that they they're repaired compared to the, the the number of the installed base, I doubt that that percentage has changed significantly. That the installed base increases just with the natural growth of uh, of uh, the, you know the environment and the number of people, uh, the general population. So it's it's more a case of service centers moving into uh, an existing market. I see. Rather than that did, market. Did I, did I answer your question? Yes, that does answer my question. Um, it answers it very well. I'll actually. add one more thing to your previous question as to why you know uh, motor centers or uh, service centers are getting into pumps. Uh, there's an awful lot of pumps that uh, uh, are connected to an electric motor uh, intimately as a, what we call a close coupled pump, where the, the, the pump is on the end of the motor. So it's a natural thing for someone who's who's got a service problem to bring that to somebody who works on electric motors. A portion of those repairs are electric motor repairs. And oh yeah, what can you work on the pump too? So backing up with that, but, 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 but your last question, um, is, in my estimation, uh, ESA service centers are moving into an existing market and have been steadily over the last uh, couple of decades. 
I, I see. And, you know, of, of some of these major verticals, I guess, where you see um, pump service work being provided, um, you know, we said process manufacturing, we said municipal water. Is there any one over the others which you think um, shows more promise for shops that want to move in this direction? Um, in terms of promise, there's lots of opportunities out there. I, I don't know that I could do a good job of addressing that, but in terms of what are the markets that are being penetrated, um, and certainly municipal water and wastewater are two, you know, major ones. Mm-hmm. Um, those those industries have traditionally been good customers for electric motor service centers. Uh, generally being local-based rather than national-based organizations. So there is a uh, an affinity there for having, you know, work and products provided locally. Um, uh, those are the taxpayers <laughs> as well as the customers. Um, so um, uh, those, those are two industries, but there's no uh, – that, that, that's uh, – uh, that doesn't mean that the other industries aren't significant. Um we have some service centers that uh, specialize in and almost exclusively do, for instance, uh, swimming pool and pop, uh, spa pumps, swimming pool and spa pumps. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, uh, that's, uh, uh, that's another area where, uh, you know, you could say, yeah, that's a, that's a, a market that we expand into. I see. So, so opportunities are, are really quite plentiful, it seems. Um, and now to pivot to a more shop-centric angle, I guess you could say, um, talk to me in slightly greater detail about what service and repair technicians should be keeping in mind if they're to move in this direction. Um, what are the most important things for them to be thinking about um, if they want to move into pumps and they want to ensure success? I have a couple of ways of focusing that question. Um, if you're talking about you know a service center versus you, you mentioned specifically technician, um, but let's approach it from a service center point of view a little bit higher level. Uh, it might be a, a service center owner or manager or, or uh, engineer or, or someone at that, at that level looking at, you know, hey, are there opportunities out there? Um, uh, one, of, one of the things is um, to be opportunistic. Um, you know, you might uh, visit, for instance, the ESA convention, talk with uh, other ESA service centers and say, hey, you know, I see all the service centers out here working on pumps. I think I'll get in the pump business. Um, what do I need to do that? Well, the first thing you do is talk with your existing customers and find out what they are currently doing for pump repair and what the opportunities are. You wouldn't say, well, I think I'll get into the you know, a vertical turbine pump repair business. I've talked to some ESA service centers who do a good job with that. They seem to make money. Um, and then find out that you don't have the customer base to support <laughs> that. Yeah. So you start with your customers and you find out where the opportunities are. Um, uh, go slowly initially. Um, one particular issue which does need to be addressed uh, is the safety issue. And um, uh, pumps pump some some nasty stuff, uh, you know, if you're working with the wastewater treatment, uh, you got toxicity. If you're working with chemical companies, uh, you got hazardous waste. Um, and uh, uh, th- those are a concern that you don't have with most of the other machinery that comes into a service center. So that needs to be addressed. Um, and uh, you don't want to expose your employees to, uh, uh, to hazards 
well, you will, but you need to be prepared uh, to address those issues and protect your employees. So I'll mention that as, as you know, just, just one up front. Hey, don't forget this, fellas. I see. And so so start with the pre-existing customers, um, start close to home, and then be aware of these new um, safety concerns that might that might confront you. And, and maybe you've already answered this question when you talk about the safety concerns, but um, let me ask it to you anyway in case you have anything to add in addition to that. Um, but what do you think the, the biggest challenges um, that shops are going to be liable to encounter is? Well, again, that's on two levels. At the technical level with the folks who are actually doing the, uh, uh, the service on the machines, but then there's also at the business level. Um, so um, um, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the business level, you're going to encounter um, uh, service issues in the field, just as you do with any piece of machinery that you repair. Um, customer's going to call you up and say, you know, the motor doesn't turn, the motor pulls high current, the motor's getting hot. Customer's going to call you up and say, hey, the pump's not pumping, I don't have enough pressure, I don't have enough flow, or my motor running the pump is, is overheating, and, and why? So you have to be able to address, you know, those issues, which means you need to understand um, the fundamentals of how a pump works in a system, and that's not... Uh, uh, that's not just an adaption of what you know about electric motors. It's a completely different uh, uh, interest. There are a particularly different area of expertise. It's hydraulics versus electronics or electrical. Um, And uh, the second thing from a business point of view to, you know, to be concerned about is how are you going to test these machines? Uh, It's not too much problem to put an electric motor, hook some leads up to it, run it no load. You might have a, a dynamometer, that you hook it up to it and load test the motor. Uh, but how are we going to test the pump? Um, you can't inher- inherently you know, run the pump without a motor. So that's, that's an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, from the technical level, obviously repairing a pump is gonna have some different concerns over repairing an electric motor or a clutch or a gear case, but it is a mechanical device. It's a uh, hydrodynamic mechanical device versus an electromagnetic mechanical device. Um, but um, basically, you're, you're going to repair the mechanical side of it, which is not too different than working on other types of machinery that most service centers are, are familiar with. There are some, there are some differences, but um, they're not major. I see. So I, I do think we've... Uh touched on a lot of the major bases here. I think this has been a fruitful discussion. Um, but before we conclude, I just want to ask you if you have any other tips or, or tidbits of information that you'd like to add that you think are important to note before we wrap this up. Well, in terms of a, of a, of a service center, um, moving into the pump business, as I said, you know, I think the, uh, the key ingredients are work with existing customers, um, uh, move slowly, uh, and rely on the resources that are available from your ESA membership. Um, not only myself, but the other uh, technical service engineer, engineers who are there uh, can answer questions that uh, will keep you out of trouble. Um, and I would suggest that they take advantage of the training opportunities that are available from ESA um, and get you started off on the right foot. Uh, there's a difference between education and experience. You know, education you learn from other people's mistakes. 
experience, you're learning from your own mistakes. So the education is a lot less expensive. I see. I see. So, um, you know, Gene, I think that can bring us to a conclusion for today. Um, I, I think this has been a very insightful conversation, and I think it's going to provide a lot of value to our listeners. So um, I do want to thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk. David, no problem. Thank you very much, and uh, appreciate the opportunity. So again, that was Gene Vogel, Pump and Vibration Specialist at ESA, and I do want to make one note about our conversation, which is that when we were talking about um, the expansion into pump services uh, among ESA shops that maybe previously hadn't gone into the pump space, um, something that Gene noted was that this was by and large a choice on the part of shops to move into an area in which they hadn't previously been involved. And that is absolutely true. And I, I, I'm not challenging Gene at all on that because that's absolutely 100% true. But I think an interesting addendum to that is that there is substantial growth in process manufacturing in industries that do use pumps, um, which is not um, merely the organic growth and the increase um, that we see in other manufacturing sectors. Obviously, in recent years, there's been a, an uptick in U.S. manufacturing in general. Um, but um, of the various manufacturing subsectors that exist, um, some of the, the most prominent growth, and this is um, per the Bureau of Labor Statistics as well as IBIS World, uh, some of the most prominent growth has been in chemical, pharmaceutical, and food and beverage subsectors. And so, uh, you know, obviously those are process industries which do fairly prominently employ pumps. So um, there's a lot of interesting reasons for that, um, if, if you kind of do a deep dive on it and look into it. When we're looking at petrochemical, for instance, um, uh, falling natural gas prices have made it extremely profitable, natural gas being um, a primary input for those petrochemicals. And we're now exporting more as it's become more profitable. Um, and then if you look at pharmaceuticals, you know, we could talk about the higher level products. And in, in times like these, amidst a pandemic, we, we probably should. But getting away from that even and just talking about generic pharmaceuticals, what we would uh, talk about as, you know, vitamins and supplements and things like that, um, there's been a big growth in those merely due to consumer trends. Um, apparently, people are more health conscious than they used to be. If you look at consumer research, they want multivitamins and fish oil and all these things they take daily. Um, I myself, for instance, take a caffeine pill with added L-theanine in the morning. I used to drink a cup of coffee. Now I don't have time. I wake up and I take this pill. So, And apparently, I'm not the only one. I bookend with these consumer trends because this is a booming industry. Um, and so there's a lot of growth, even more than we see growth in other manufacturing subsectors. We're seeing growth in these process manufacturing subsectors. And so um, not only is it a good idea for shops to elect to move into that realm, uh, but there is disproportionate growth in that realm for them to move into. Um, and I think since we're on the topic of pharmaceuticals, this is a good time to mention again um, our... August cover story, which was on um, sanitary pump use in pharmaceutical production, which was written by our managing editor, Selena Cody. Um, and this is, I, I think, one of the reasons we, we chose to do it was not only because this was our, our water issue, which was to feature pumps prominently, um, uh, but because, obviously, of the COVID-19 situation, which gives it a kind of topical relevance. So this is on page 25 of our August issue for anyone who wants to take a look. And um, Gene Vogel was actually also consulted for this story. He's quoted in the story. So if you like Gene, you might want to take a peek at that. You can get some more 
gene tidbits, I suppose you would say. And so, um, you know, this story is very interesting. One of the things that that is looked at in this story is the need to use very high-grade steel um, that is made with non-ferrous metal that doesn't um, rust, that isn't subject to corrosion in these, uh, you know, very sanitary pharmaceutical operations because obviously um, these are extremely stringently regulated fields um, where avoiding contamination and that sort of thing at any cost is very, very important. And so the government has placed a very stringent regulatory regime um, in these fields. And um, when you look at those pumps, there are interesting considerations uh, for service and repair people to make. Um, You know, something that's said in the story is they have open impellers so that they're easier to clean. Uh, They make use of special O-rings that are easier to clean. Um, And in that story, a lot of advice is given um, for people performing service and repair um, on these pieces of equipment, particularly given that part replacements um, must abide by those same stringent standards, those same regulatory measures. And so if that's something you're interested in, um, I, I advise sort of dipping into that story and taking a look. And so, you know, to go even further on this, this trend of, of pharmaceuticals, I, I think one more topical note worth mentioning, because I I like to bring in sort of current affairs in the news in doing these um, to sort of ground what otherwise might be seen as niche industry concerns into the, you know, broader context of American society, I guess you would say. Um, it is the case that that earlier this month, actually, um, President Trump did sign an executive order directing federal agencies to pre- prioritize purchase of drugs uh, and medical materials from, from U.S. companies. Now, I don't like to be too political on this podcast. And something I will say is that there are various perspectives um, on this move, but I mention it because it is a shift that, again, signals potentially future growth in pharmaceutical production in the U.S., which could yield yield future service opportunities uh, for pumps and particularly for these sanitary pumps um, that are discussed in that August cover story. So, um, to give a little background on this move, this did obviously emerge as a, a result um, of our being seen as, as dangerously dependent on, on foreign sources for many medical materials. Um, I, I think I read a statistic that um, 90% of prescription drugs we use are not made in the U.S. And so this became acutely apparent under the strain of the pandemic um, in which many things we needed we were not able to get as the supply chains broke down. So, um you know, one would think this would be an uncontroversial move, but but there are varying perspectives. Um, there's a conflict, for instance, between drug prices and uh, drive for domestic manufacturing growth. You know, on the one hand, um, it's not advantageous to be dependent on foreign sources for essential materials like this. Um, and in addition to that, there is a desire among many for um, growth in the domestic economy via manufacturing, um, which includes pharmaceutical manufacturing, process manufacturing. Um, But then on the other hand, my understanding is that this could potentially raise drug prices, which we already consider ourselves having a problem with um, here in America, um, high drug prices. And so one way to make them cheaper, it it would seem, is by cutting regulations, um, which is a part of that executive order. Uh, But then when you make that move, there are some people who raise public health alarms, environmental concerns, and so on and so forth in that regard. And so what you see here is really whether you like President Trump or not, it becomes very clear that this is a supremely complex issue involving 
a lot of trade-offs, and it, it it's hard to come to a good decision in regard to an issue like that. And I, I guess as someone who does consider myself an observer of public affairs, I would challenge anyone to think if they were in that position, what kind of decision would they make? And maybe it becomes apparent that it's a, it's a very challenging situation for any politician. Um, but I, I mention this again, really to, to bookend on the trend of pharmaceutical manufacturing and to tie um, our, our exploration this month, I suppose you would say, into broader public affairs, which is something um, I like to do as I consider myself as much a, a news reader as, as um, a business reporter um, for this niche industry. So, um, you know, and these are topics that we've touched on before in the past, uh, is something else I'll say. Um, we are heading into a conclusion here, but um, it, it is interesting that I think it was last year, actually, in August 2019, um, when we did uh, a sort of retrospective look at the decline of manufacturing in Janesville, Wisconsin, um, the loss of their large GM assembly plant there because we were looking at the decline of manufacturing um, over time in America. Um, now we're looking at its its resurgence, its growth, but that story was very much oriented toward that. And one thing we saw was that, first of all, the Janesville community um, suffered tremendously when they lost their GM plant. Um, but then when more manufacturing returned, because it did, and there was a, a strong interest on the part of the state to bring manufacturing back, um, it was in the form of biotech. The company, one of the big companies they managed to get to come put down roots in their community after the GM plant left uh, was a company called Shine Medical Technologies. Um, and they were a process manufacturing uh, uh, company that was creating medical isotopes. So um, this is noteworthy because it could be seen as a kind of microcosm of, of the change in the broader manufacturing landscape you see where um, Janesville, which had this huge auto assembly plant, um, lost that plant, and now in its place they have uh, process manufacturing, this advanced manufacturing of, of medical isotopes. And maybe that sort of speaks to not necessarily the shift away from discrete manufacturing, because we do have a lot of that still, and, and we're seeing an uptick in that too, but the growing predominance of different types of manufacturing, in this case process manufacturing. And it's interesting because, you know, when they lose that GM plant and they, they bring in Shine Medical Technologies, you know, it's a very different type of operation. They had 1,000 assembly workers or something like that at the GM plant. Now they bring in Shine Medical Technologies. It's, it's 50 highly trained engineers. It's a totally different class of company. Um, but it, So it's a complex shift, and it, it comes with, with pros and cons. Obviously, employment isn't the only thing to consider. Employment numbers are not the only thing to consider when you're looking at the overall value of, a, of having manufacturing. Um, but what's important for service and repair people uh, to look at, I think, is that almost certainly, you know, I don't know the specifics of Shine Medical Technologies, but almost certainly if it's one of these um, process manufacturing plants, um, like what, you know, our managing editor, Selena Cody, wrote about in the August issue and like what we've discussed more broadly today, there's definitely going to be technology, probably pumps and the like, um, for people in our industry to work on there. Um, so, you know, and that's something I see. Um, I'm not an expert on biotech by any means, but in sort of like, you know, scanning general industry news whenever I can, um, you know, as it's kind of what I, part of what I do for a living, um, I see a lot about biotech. And it would seem that biotech is 
very much a fast burgeoning field. And that's not just pharmaceutical manufacturing, but that's a big part of it. Um, so anyway, I think this has been a good show. I hope that having Gene on provides some value for people, and I, I, I hope that some of this broader context is interesting to people too. Um, I do just want to conclude with one more tease uh, for our upcoming robotics cover in our September innovation issue. Um, you know, today we've talked about uh, pumps as a potential means of broadening your service portfolio. In that robotics cover story, we're going to talk about servo motors as a similar avenue, a similar pathway uh, through which shops can do that. Um, and we're going to attempt to be similarly grounded in, in broader public affairs, looking at automation, reshoring, so on and so forth, as we have in the past, and most most likely will again. So um, that issue will be out in the first month of September. And um, I know that this podcast is a little late this month, but typically um, these will continue to go out mid-month, hopefully around the 15th. Uh, obviously this month we're a little late, but but it will never be later than mid-month, and I would assume and hope that it'll be back to the 15th next month. So um, also I, I'd like to tease, I am planning on having um, another expert on. I think it was good having Gene on this month, and I, I'd like to have another expert potentially, um, someone who can speak a little bit more either to uh, servo motors um, or robotics more broadly on next month. I can't say who it'll be yet, um, but if you enjoyed hearing Gene speak, um, then definitely tune in next month because we're going to have another expert on more than likely. So in any case, I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in, um, and I hope you enjoyed the show, and I'll see you again next month.